Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. Over to the book of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, and we're going to start there. We've been talking about the real Jesus on a Sunday morning. And um, the past two weeks, first of all, we talked about who do you say I am? We talked about who is Jesus. And then last week, we talked about that Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king. So this week, I want us to take it a step further, and I want to talk about specifically what happened on the week that Jesus died. And so that's what we want to share about this morning. And um, we're going to start in Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53 and verse 3 in the New King James. It says, He is despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we, we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes... We are healed. Come on, I need a little bit more, a better amen in the house of God. No, and by his stripes, we are healed. So if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is Death by Love. Death by Love. And so I want to share a little bit in the beginning of this on why Jesus came, why he had to come to die, and what really happened, especially on Good Friday, which we're going to celebrate this Friday, what is the significance of it for today? And we're still talking about the importance of knowing who the real Jesus is. So why did Jesus have to come to die? Well, uh, the shortest answer possible is this, that when the, in the beginning, Adam and Eve, when they sinned and they broke God's law, that a curse came upon them, a curse came upon this planet, and they needed to be redeemed. They needed to be bought back. They needed that the curse would be removed and the blessing would come back. And there was only one way to do it. Somebody who was perfect had to come and redeem man, but man isn't perfect, so that's the problem. There was no one that could do it. So God had to come because he loves us so much in the person of Jesus because he is the perfect man and he is perfectly God. And so he had to come as a man and live a perfect sinless life and die on the cross, not for himself, but for us. To redeem us, those are all biblical words, and we're going to get into them later, to reconcile us, to make us right with God once and for all, and to forgive us of our sins. And Jesus is the only one qualified to do that. So Jesus came to die. And his love is shown by the death on the cross. You know, the Bible says that greater, uh, uh, there's no greater love than a man would lay down his life for a friend. There's no greater love than laying down your life for someone else. And Jesus did that for us. But the thing about Jesus is he didn't just do it for his friends because at the time, technically, we weren't his friends. We were his enemies. But it says why we were still yet sinners, Jesus died for us. No, not when we were going to church. That's not when Jesus died for us. Not when we were living right. That's not when Jesus died for us. Not when we were talking right and living right and acting right. No, when we were sinners, 
Jesus died for us. When we were drinking at the club, Jesus died for us. When we were smoking weed, Jesus died for us. When we were sleeping with somebody we weren't married to, Jesus was dying for us. When we were not living for him, Jesus died for us. And while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us to make us right. But he was the only one qualified to die in our place because he was God and he was man and he was perfect. So we... We want to talk about some things this morning on where did this even idea of sacrifice and making things right come from? Well, in the beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, you see that when Adam and Eve sinned, immediately they felt guilt and shame. Immediately. Why? Because they had a conscience. They knew right from wrong. Just like every person on the planet, whether you are saved or not saved, God put a conscience on the inside of you, and you know right from wrong. Whether you want to admit it or not, whether you've lived a lifestyle that is the opposite of that, you know right from wrong because God put a conscience on the inside of you that you know right from wrong. Who put that there? God did. He put that there, and when we mess up and when we sin, all of us in here feel guilt and shame because we know we're wrong. Whether we know a scripture or whether we've been to church or not, we know we're wrong and we have guilt and shame. So this is what happens for most of us, not just Adam and Eve, but all the rest of us. When we sin and mess up, we feel guilty and we feel shameful, and what do we do? We run away from God. And not to God. If I had a dollar for every person I heard say this, I'm going to get right and then come back to church. You'll never make it back. I'm going to clean up my life and then come to church. You'll never come back. (laughs) I had to wake you up this morning. I need to get things right, and then I'll come back to Jesus, and then I'll ask for forgiveness. That's not the way this thing works. You'll never get back to God. You'll never get back to church. You'll never get back to being right because you can't do it. And the guilt and shame you feel for doing wrong and having sin in your life a lot of times pushes people away from God and not to God, which that is the exact plan of the enemy. Let's push them as far away from their help as we can and make them feel so ashamed they never want to come back to God. But you'll never be right unless you come back to him because he's the only one who can forgive your sins and give you a new life. But we all feel that guilt and shame because we have a conscience. But then what's the next step? We all try to do this thing called atonement. It's a Bible word, but you've even heard people use this in culture. You need to atone for your sins. Atonement means that you make things right. Atonement means, the biblical version of it means to cover over, to make right, to appease, or to reconcile. And we all do that. Whether we come back to God or not, we do things to make us not feel as guilty and as ashamed. And we do atonement. And we know we need to make things right. A lot of times we don't know how to, so we do it our own way, which doesn't solve the issue. 
which doesn't make us feel better. Or if it does make us feel better, it's only temporarily. And so atonement means to cover and to make right and to appease or to reconcile. And notice what happened when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. We're still talking about Genesis, and we're going to get to Jesus because it's all connected. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they knew right from wrong, just like you and I do. They had a conscience. And then when they messed up, they felt guilty and ashamed, just like you and I do. And then the next step was they tried to make atonement for themselves. And what does atonement mean? It means to cover. And what did they go and immediately do? They found fig leaves and put on an outfit of fig leaves. Just like we all do. Because they were trying to hide their guilt and their shame and their wrongdoing. We all do this. Some of you come to church. That's your fig leaf. You think you're right with God because you come to church. You're not. This is a good place to be. You're going to learn about who you are in Christ. But you're not forgiven because you come to church. Your guilt is not gone because you come to church. Your shame is not gone because you came to church. Some of you read your Bibles because it's a fig leaf. It does not make you right with God. It does not make you holy. It does not make you forgiven. It helps you, but only Jesus and his sacrifice is what makes you right. Is what makes you holy. Is what atones of your sin. It covers them over. It makes them right. It appeases and reconciles you and God. And notice, they put fig leaves on because it covered them temporarily. We all do that. Not just in church world. Why do people feel like they have to live in a certain neighborhood? I have to have this house because that's my fig leaf. People won't realize all the junk I have in my life if I live in this neighborhood or if I drive this car or if my kids go to this school or if I wear these type of clothes or if I get a raise at my job. That's a fig leaf. That's only trying trying to make amends and cover up the sin and the guilt and the shame in your life. And you're thinking, if I do enough good stuff, and I look good, and I smell good, and I feel good, that that will make me right with God, and no one else will know that I have sin and shame and guilt. But it's a fig leaf. You want to know something about a fig leaf outfit? Just like the leaves on the tree? Eventually, they're going to dry up. Eventually, that leafy garment you have is going to fall off. Because it's not made out of cloth. It's only made out of a temporary thing. And so you could wear it for only so long, but that will eventually, you will be shown for who you truly are, which is a guilty, shameful sinner who needs God's help. Or you can keep playing the game and put your own fig leaves on. There's religious fig leaves. There's worldly fig leaves. It's all the same thing. And it's only a temporary covering to make you feel like you're right when you're not. 
But only Jesus' sacrifice can make you right. But notice, let me take you a step further. Are you still getting this today? We put fig leaves on ourselves to make us covered because we don't want anyone to see our shame, our guilt, our nakedness on who we are apart from God. But this is what happens. And I love Genesis is preaching the gospel before the gospel. Last week we mentioned this. Jesus said all the Psalms and the law and the prophets are about me. If you read your Bible in light of the new covenant and in light of what Jesus has done, even the Old Testament, even the begats, even the book of Leviticus speaks to you about Jesus. And you get so much more out of it because it's not some old, dry, dead, archaic book that doesn't matter to us because we're so educated in 2021. We don't need to read this ancient book. But if you read it in light of what Jesus has done, Genesis through Revelation makes perfect sense. And it's alive and it's full of power. And it's able to change you from the inside out because everything in the Old Testament is pointing to him. It's not just about Adam and Eve. It's not just about Moses. It's not just about Abraham. It's not just about David and Esther and Ruth and Jeremiah. It's about Jesus. And all of that was a type and a shadow of the real thing to come. Stay with me. So Adam and Eve, they put fig leaves on. Like they were really doing something. They ran away from God. Wrong idea to begin with, guys. Like we all do. I know this. I, I've done nothing but church my entire life. How many people I know I've loved and I've tried to talk them out of it. Don't run from God right now. Don't run away from church right now. That's the best place you need to be. If you messed up, that's the best place you need to be. If you feel like you, you're shameful and guilty, that's the best place you need to be. Don't run from God. Run to God. That's the place you need to be. Now, on the other side note, religious people have made people feel that way. Jesus didn't make them feel that way. Church people made them feel that way. When I mess up, I can't go to church. But who else are they going to go to? Who else are you going to go to? Seriously, we kick out the people that need the help. Where else are you going to go to? And more importantly than that, such were all of us at one time in our life. But we magically forget about that somehow when it comes to someone else's sin. Let me stay on my message. I'm into stepping on religious sacred cows for a moment. He put fig leaves on Adam and Eve. But it says right after that, but God made them clothing from an animal. And what's the significance of that? Well, it's important because There had to be a sacrifice for sin, and sin requires blood. That's going to be a bloody service the rest of this time. I'm I'm telling you, if you can't handle it, you don't need to be in here. But it required blood. A life 
for life. The Bible says, now hear me here, in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. It's a high price to pay. Yes, it is. But sin destroys you. Sin brings death and destruction. So the wages of sin is death. It was a life for a life. So when we sin, our figs are not good enough to make up for it because blood must be shed for forgiveness of sins to happen. Blood must be shed, a life given for a life. And some of us are still arguing about Well, God was not merciful that he gave Adam and Eve the boot out of the garden because they messed up. No, he was. Because technically, they deserved to die, not the animal. And God, out of his grace and his mercy, it says in Genesis, he got them clothing of an animal. Now, how did he do that? He had to kill an animal and make a sacrifice for Adam and Eve to have clothing. And he chose out of his mercy to kill an animal and use the blood of an animal instead of Adam and Eve because he loved them so much to make a sacrifice for their sins because blood is required for sin. The wages of sin is death. Now, I'm going to talk about the blood today, and that's why I said if it makes you uncomfortable, maybe you don't need to be in here. But we need to realize why blood. Why blood? Well, first of all, blood is messy and gross, like our sin. The Bible says that blood is symbolic for life. Let's read here in Leviticus 17.11 in the New Living. For the life of the body is its blood. And I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you and make you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. Life is in the blood. You know, when you get your blood taken, your blood can tell you everything about what's going on in your body because the life is in the blood. When people are needing help, they get a blood transfusion because the life is in the blood. We need blood to live, and life represents blood, and life is in the blood. And the only sacrifice for sin is blood. But it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us uncomfortable, especially in our modern world today. And there's a lot of churches that don't even talk about this because it makes people uncomfortable. You're not in one of those churches this morning. There's churches that don't even sing songs that have the blood in it anymore. Pardon me for a second why I sound like an old-time preacher, but it's true. There's, there's a lot of churches that don't even sing about the blood anymore. Because it makes them uncomfortable because they live in the suburbs. And they're educated. And they got some money and a nice car and their kids go to private school. And don't talk about blood because it's messy and it's gross. But that's your life. Your life without God is messy and gross. 
Life on this planet is messy and gross because of sin. And so blood needs to give you a reality check. That's real life. But we don't want to talk about that because you live in the suburbs. But there's a lot of churches that don't sing about the blood. They won't sing old hymns that have the blood in it on purpose because it makes people uncomfortable about their sin. They won't sing songs about the blood. They won't preach messages about the blood. But without the blood, there is no sacrifice for sin. Without the blood, we are never made right with God because the life is in the blood. And the sacrifice for sin is a life for a life, and life is in the blood. A bloodless gospel is a powerless gospel. I don't care if it makes you uncomfortable today. It makes God uncomfortable today. If we had more messages about the blood, maybe you would live right. Am I in the right church? If we had more messages about the blood, maybe you would be more passionate about God. If we had more messages about the blood, maybe it would want you to pursue God with all your heart. But you're living in a place of no sacrifice and no passion and no commitment because you forgot the great sacrifice that God made for you. Because when you know that sacrifice, it changes the way you live. And it changes the way you talk. And it changes the way you read your Bible. And it changes the way you pray. And it changes the way you come to church. And it changes the way you live every day of your life when you know what the sacrifice of Jesus has done. And so when we don't sing about the blood, it makes apathetic believers. And when we don't preach about the blood, it makes big churches that are apathetic. With a lot of comfortable people that live in the suburbs and don't want to hear about mess and gross. But they are. They just put on their figs before they came to church. Y'all want this or not today? It's the truth. And the Bible says the cross is offensive. Have you ever read that in a church growth book? It is. It's offensive to the sinner and the self-righteous. The cross is offensive. You should feel a little something when I'm talking like this. That's good. That's conviction. Because the blood and the cross should be offensive to us. Because it reminds us we need God. And we can't pay for our own sin. And there only is atonement. Once again, what is atonement? To cover, to make right when we have the blood. Because the life is in the blood. Are you still here today? It's interesting to note that if you study any ancient group of people, all of them had sacrifices. Even ones who didn't have the Bible made sacrifices. Now, how did they know to do that? Because it was in them. They had a conscience. They knew right from wrong. 
They felt guilt and shame. So what did they do? There's so many ancient religions and ancient groups of people all over the world without a Bible that did these things. They would sacrifice their fruit and vegetables. They would would sacrifice animals. And they would do that to appease the gods because they knew things needed to be made right and atone for their sins. But without the blood... There is no sacrifice for sins. That's why Jesus had to come give a sacrifice for our sins. Figs are not good enough. There has to be blood. There has to be blood. There's power in the blood. There's victory in the blood. And thank God today, it's not our blood on the line. And thank God that we don't have to come down the altar and bring a goat or a lamb this morning or a turtle dove this morning or bring some fruits and vegetables this morning. We don't got to do any of that because when Jesus paid the sacrifice for sin and shed his blood, he did it once and for all. It doesn't need to happen again because the perfect sacrifice was given once and for all, for all people, for all time, but it had to be in the blood. Had to be in the blood. I got to be honest with you this morning as your pastor. I know when we say blood, it makes you uncomfortable, but you got to realize that is the severity of our sin. It brings destruction. It brings death. And the wages of sin is death. That was never God's plan. It was us that messed it up. Y'all, we could have still been in the Garden of Eden butt naked right now. Come on now, somebody. Eating fruits and vegetables. Now, I didn't want to see you. I'm not saying that. We could be living in paradise. Having a good time. But we were the ones who messed it up. But God loved us so much. He said, no, I'm going to make this right. I'm going to bring them back to myself. I'm going to forgive them and make them right and give them a new life. And they were going to be my sons and daughters again. But I want to talk a little bit for the rest of this time about what happened on this week of we're celebrating here. Some would call it Holy Week. I like it in the Bible. It says it was the week of his passion. Man, I love that. Because God was so passionate about us, that's why he did this. And not passionately mad at us, passionately in love with us. And it says it was the week of Jesus' passion. He did what he did because he was in love with you. The thing that kept him on the cross was his love for you. And we see here, especially on Thursday and Friday, I want to focus in on the week that Jesus died, which is, that's this Thursday and Friday, about some significant things that happened. First of all, on the Thursday before Jesus died, which that's this Thursday, they were celebrating the Passover. Now, the Passover in the Old Testament was a feast. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, once again, all of the law 
and the prophets in the Psalms are pointing to Jesus. But all of the feasts are pointing to Jesus. Now, the feasts in the Old Testament, the simplest definition was this. There would be times throughout the year that God would say, I want you guys to have a party and just celebrate me. I want you to have a party and celebrate my goodness. I want you to have this big party and celebrate what I've done for you. So we see there's there's the Feast of uh, Tabernacles. There's the Feast of Passover. There's the Feast of Pentecost. There's all sorts of feasts throughout the year where God is telling his people to celebrate. And it's usually to remind them of a specific thing that happened that he did for them. But this Thursday that Jesus was celebrating, it was the feast of Passover. Now, it wasn't an accident. The feast that was happening on the time that Jesus died. Not an accident. Because God knew this ahead of time. And God sent his son into the world at the right place, at the right time. And it was divinely spoken and given. So they were celebrating the Feast of Passover the Thursday before Jesus died. Now here, here's what happens in the Feast of the Passover. And I'm about to preach before I preach, but let me just preach. The Feast of the Passover is like this. In the Old Testament, there was God's people were in Egypt. They were in slavery. And Pharaoh wouldn't let God's people go. So how many know there was plague after plague after plague? And then the last plague was that, that the firstborn son would be killed and that God's uh, people would be let go. But before that last plague, if you read about what was happening to God's people, the plagues were in Egypt, but God's people were being sheltered and none of the plagues were happening where God's people dwelt. The judgment was on the world and not on God's people. But the last plague was the death of the firstborn son. And it said that the death angel came over and killed all the firstborn sons as judgment for Pharaoh not letting God's people go. But God told his people this. I want you to kill a lamb. I told you, if you read your Bible in light of what Jesus has done, it's all together. He said, I want you to kill a lamb. And once you kill that lamb, I want you to eat it. And I want you to keep the blood aside. And I want you to take some hyssop. And I want you to take that blood and put it on your doorpost. And put it around your house. Because when the death angel comes to bring death and destruction to you, he's going to have to pass over. And that's where the feast of Passover came from because the judgment that was coming had to pass over because of the blood. And Jesus happened to be having the Passover During the time, he was going to become the Passover Lamb of God. 
pointing to what he does. Because now in the new covenant, we don't have to kill a lamb to be protected by God. No, we have the blood of the lamb who is Jesus Christ. And when we put the blood over our life, he has to pass over. Sickness has to pass over. Mental issues have to pass over. Destruction has to pass over. Sin has to pass over. Not because the blood of a lamb, but the blood of God. So Jesus was saying, we are celebrating Passover, but I am the Passover. And then he went on and they they took the communion meal which was the bread and the wine, the bread for his body, the wine for his blood. And he said, take it and remember to me. But, but Jesus, we're supposed to be doing Passover. We are. But this is the new Passover. And in the new Passover, I'm the lamb. And the new Passover, this is my blood for you. And in the new Passover, this is my body broken for you. And take it and drink and eat all of it, because it's the start of a new covenant in a new way with God. You guys still here today? But then he went from there to the Garden of Gethsemane after communion, after the Passover meal, and he prayed. And he said, not my will, but yours be done. See, in that moment, that was Jesus the man saying that. Not Jesus as God. Because Jesus the man had feelings like you do and I do. He had emotions like you and I do. And he was feeling like, I don't want to go through this. But he told his father, no, not my will, but yours be done. And the Bible says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame and now he is seated at the right hand of God but he got through that because of the joy before him now what was the joy before him it wasn't him just getting back to heaven the joy before him was Dale Tillett the joy before him was Jim Ziegler was Chloe Gehring, was Liz Reuter. The joy before him was all of us being back a part of God's family. So he could endure that for us. But he said in his own strength, not my will. I don't want to do this, but your will be done. It said he was so physically stressed that he dropped blood. He was sweating blood. Now, that's physically possible. I looked it up. You have to be under extreme stress, but people can literally sweat blood if they're under that amount of stress. And it says that Jesus was dripping blood from stress. He was arrested that very night by the religious people of that day, the Sanhedrin. The religious people hated him, and the worldly people hated him and wanted to kill him. And the Sanhedrin, or the religious people that day, turned him over to the Romans to let them do the rest of it. We see that he was given to Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate reluctantly put him to death. He didn't even necessarily want to, 
but the crowds around him encouraged him to do so. There's something you got to think about, and I want to share three things before we close. But something you need to understand, when the Roman people punished people that needed to be punished, it was never about death. It was about making an example of them. It was never just about death. It was like, let's make this as excruciating and gruesome and as horrible as possible so nobody else will backtalk us. So the Roman government never just killed people. They dragged this thing out and made it as gross and as difficult and as gruesome as they could. But I want to read another verse, and we read this at the beginning. I want to share three things that happened when Jesus paid for our sins on Good Friday. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, but in the Amplified Classic Version. It says, surely, now this is speaking about Jesus, Isaiah 53, if you do any study about it, it's talking about the suffering servant, which everyone agrees is prophetically about Jesus. Surely he was, has borne our griefs, notice our sicknesses, our weakness, our distresses, and carried our sorrows and our pains of punishment, yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God as if with leprosy. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. And the chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. We are healed and made whole. For the rest of this time, I want to talk about three things that Jesus paid for on Good Friday. For you. The first thing I want to talk about, he paid for healing for our body. Healing for our body. Now, when I share some of these things, I want you to really listen to me. Because it's interesting in the Old Testament when they took the Passover and ate the lamb, he said, Eat all of it. There's a lot of believers. Her only eating part of the lamb. There's a lot of churches this Sunday and next Sunday. All they're going to talk about is you're forgiven and you're going to get to heaven. Now that's great. We're going to talk about that too. But Jesus paid for more than you just eking by living a struggling, defeated, pathetic existence on this earth and struggling your way into the sweet by and by. And when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. But it will be horrible in hell on earth till we get there. But the Bible says when you eat the lamb, eat all of it. Don't just eat the forgiveness part. Now that would be great if that's all we had. But eat the whole thing. And the whole redemption. And the whole pavement. And what he did fully. Not just getting you to heaven. But getting heaven in you. But the first thing that happened on the cross. And on that good Friday. Is Jesus paid for healing for our body. 
I'm going to tell you when that happened because it says, by his stripes, we are healed and made whole. He paid for healing for our body. That happened, it says in the Bible, that he was sent to be whipped or to be scourged. And in that time, in that day, when they sent somebody by the Roman government to be whipped or to be scourged, their two hands would be tied to something. So they couldn't move. They couldn't wiggle out of it. They had to be in a position where their hands would not be able to move. And once he was tied to that, this happened to Jesus. There would be two men, Roman soldiers, who would take out whips. And these whips, at the end of it, there would be straps of metal and glass and bone. And when they would hit somebody with that whip, it would hook into their skin and rip and tear. A lot of times they said after someone was whipped and scourged like this, their back would be unrecognizable. There would just be skin hanging off. And Jesus did that for us. And by his stripes, we are healed and made whole. A lot of times they said that a lot of people just died in the scourging. They never got to the cross because the scourging was enough to kill anybody. Even just a few times being scourged, people died. But it says Jesus took all the scourging necessary to obtain healing for us. And by the stripes of Jesus, we are made healed and whole. Jesus paid for healing for our body. I just want to remind you, church, we still believe in healing at this church. (laughs) We still believe in the sacrifice of Jesus. We still believe you got to eat all of the lamb. And I would be a dishonest pastor if I just said you're forgiven and God doesn't care about your healing for your body. Then Jesus should have just skipped the whipping part if he didn't want to heal your body. Because Jesus went through that scourging for us. And by, the notice, the stripes on his back, we are healed and made whole. He paid for healing for our body. He paid for healing for your body. I don't care what other people try to talk you into or out of. It is God's will that we are healed. I don't care how many people you know who it didn't work for. You could be the person it does work for. I don't care how many people will talk you out of what God has done for you. No, healing still belongs to us. And by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. Not just spiritually, physically. But pastor, I got questions. So do I. But I know one thing's true. Jesus is still a healer. And he paid for our healing. Healing is for our body. Jesus took those stripes, not just to forgive our sins, but to heal our body.
is true today. That's why every time you take communion, you need to think about that. When you take the bread into your mouth, Jesus paid for healing in his body for me. He took it in his body, so I don't have to take it in my body. Healing for our body is possible through what Jesus paid for us. It's important to know that. That's what happened on Good Friday. The next thing I want to talk about, he paid for peace for our mind. Isaiah 53 and verse 5. Let's bring that up here for a second. Isaiah 53 and verse 5. Notice what it says in the Amplified. The chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. The chastisement. So the chastisement, all that really means is the punishment. Needful to obtain peace. And well-being for us was upon him. On Good Friday, Jesus paid for healing for your body, but he paid for peace in your mind. It says he took the punishment necessary to obtain peace and well-being for us. I love this point because we're living in a time, in a day, where mental health issues are out of control in the world and in the church because no one has talked to them about that Jesus paid the price not just to get you to heaven but that you could think sound in your mind that you could have peace in your mind that you don't have to be on anti-anxiety anti-depression medicine the rest of your life no Jesus paid the punishment that you would have peace in your mind and he took the punishment necessary to attain well-being and peace for us and I'm not making fun of anybody because I've dealt with anxiety and depression for sometimes years at a time But the truth is, Jesus paid for that too. Stop making excuses why you can't get it. Stop making excuses why. Oh, my my whole family's always been anxious and depressed. And I've always had depression in my family. And I've always felt this way. And I got a chemical imbalance. And it will always be this way. I understand that. But... Jesus paid for peace in your mind. And I believe in getting natural help if you need it for a season. But I believe if you receive everything that Jesus has done for you, you can have full peace in your mind. When did this happen? Well, I believe it happened when Jesus was blindfolded, it said, and he was punched in the head time after time after time in his head. Your mind. Your mind. He took the punishment for your mind. Sometimes it feels like the enemy's just beaten on your mind, on your mind, on your mind. That's the devil's playground, on your mind. But Jesus took those 
punishment and those beatings for us that we could have peace no matter what. That we could have a sound mind no matter what. That we could have well-being in our mind no matter what. And Jesus took that punishment in his head for us. And it says they put a crown of thorns on his head. And when they put that crown of thorns on his head, those weren't baby thorns. Those were big thorns. And they didn't just put it there. They pressed it down on his head. So those thorns went into his skull. And there would be blood dripping down his face from all the thorns being in his skull. And then his head would start to swell and be completely disfigured. It says that when Jesus went to the cross, he was unrecognizable. He didn't even look like a human being because he had been beaten so much in his head. And the crown of thorns on his head. So it would just be bloodied and swollen. Didn't even look like a human head anymore. But Jesus did that so you would have peace in your mind. In your mind. No, don't just think it's for somebody else. No, in your mind. Jesus went through that so you would have peace in your mind. And not struggle the rest of your life. Now, I'm with you because I've struggled times in my life. But Jesus took the chastisement, the punishment needful to obtain peace and well-being for us. So we can have peace in our mind. The last thing I want to talk about. He brought forgiveness of our sins. Healing for our body, peace for our mind, and forgiveness of our sins. The cross is the worst way to die. The cross in the ancient world was like the execution chair in modern day. It's amazing how when time goes on, you don't see people with chains around their neck with the execution chair. In the corner of our building, there's a cross, not an execution chair. It would be a little offensive if there was an execution chair. But in ancient times, that's how offensive the cross was. It wasn't a symbol of fun and happiness and everybody's got a cross on and they're smiling. No. That's one of the worst, dishonorable, disrespectful ways to die. And Jesus died that way for us. It was said that even though Romans did not invent crucifixion, they perfected it. The death was torture. The word even excruciating comes from the word cross. If someone is in excruciating pain, that is tied all the way back to crucifixion. Because that's what kind of pain you endured. When Jesus went to the cross... After getting that beating in his back for our body, after dealing with that in his mind for our peace, he went to the cross and brought forgiveness for our sins because there's no forgiveness without blood. It was said that there would be nails or metal spikes put into his wrist and into his feet five to seven inches long that would go into his body to hold him there. And you did not die on the cross just from hanging up there. You died because you would eventually suffocate 
in your own blood. Because you could no longer lift yourself up to get air. It was a brutal way to die. And Jesus did that for us. Our sin, our shame. He got dishonored so we would be honored. He went through all of that so we could be forgiven. But I love the, the thing about Jesus is even through all of that, he was completely conscious and completely aware of who he was and what was going on. And I love because the Bible says, Jesus spoke this before going to the cross, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. And when I want to, I'll pick it back up. But no one takes my life from me. Realize, Jesus wasn't forced to be there. He chose it. The Jewish people weren't in charge of it. The Romans people weren't even in charge of it. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. He even went further to say, if I wanted to, I could have thousands and thousands of angels come rescue me right now. But I'm not going to do it because I need to pay the sacrifice for sin. But Jesus did that for us. We see that it says he hung there for six hours. And when the price was paid, he said, it is finished. We are living in the day of a finished work. He does not have to go back and do anything else for us. He does not have to go back and get beat for us for you to be healed today. He already did it. It's a finished work. He doesn't have to go put the crown of thorns on his head anymore. It's a finished work. Peace is available for you today. He does not have to go back to the cross to forgive your sins. It's a finished work once and for all. And when Jesus said it was finished, it says he gave up his spirit. Because he was in charge. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down by myself. And I love this because it says, when he said it was finished, the temple that was not too far away from where he was, where there was a very large curtain that kept people out of the presence of God. Out of the Holy of Holies. When Jesus said it was finished, there's this just little side note in there if you read the Gospels. It says, the veil of the temple was torn in two. Because the separation that the sin of us caused between us and God was no longer there anymore. And we don't got to go through any hoops. We don't got to bring any sacrifices. We don't got to dress a certain way. We don't got to go through any veil. We don't got to go to any kind of altar. No, the veil was torn in two when he said it was finished and the separation between us and God was over. So now you can be in God's presence at your house, in your car. On your walk, not just at church. Why? Because the veil was torn in two, and now there's no separation between us and God because he has dealt with our sin. But unless somebody deals with our sin, 
their separation. That's the worst thing about being lost. You're separated from God. It's not just hell. It's being separated from God. But because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for our sins, there's no more separation. He is with you wherever you go. You are walking and talking temples of God now. You don't got to go to one. You are one. Now the presence of God never leaves you, never forsakes you. But that would not be possible unless Jesus paid for our sins and forgave us. And when he did, the curtain or the veil of the temple was torn in two. So there's no separation between us and God. I want to read a few passages for you out of the Message Bible. I know I preached a long time today, but I appreciate you listening. Did you guys get anything today? Hebrews 9 and verse 11. But when the Messiah arrived, high priest of the superior things of the new covenant, he bypassed the old tent in its trappings in the created world and went straight into heaven's tent, the true holy place once and for all. He also bypassed the sacrifices consisting of goat and calf blood, instead using his own blood as a price to set us free once and for all. If that animal blood and the other rituals of purification were effective in cleaning up our certain matter of our religion and behavior, think how much more the blood of Christ cleans up our whole lives inside and out. Through the Spirit, Christ offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice, freeing us from all those dead-in efforts to make ourselves respectable so that we can live all out for God. Let's look at Hebrews 10, I believe. Hebrews 10, 11. Every priest, because we talked last week about Jesus being our priest, speaking of Jesus, every priest goes to work at the altar each day offering the same old sacrifices year in and year out and never makes a dent in the sin problem. As a priest, Christ made a single sacrifice for sins, and that was it. And then he sat down right beside God, waiting for his enemies to cave in. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. And by that single offering, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in this purifying process. The Holy Spirit confirms this. Now, this is part of an Old Testament verse speaking prophetically. This new plan I'm making with Israel isn't going to be written on paper, isn't going to be chiseled in stone. This time, I'm writing out the plan in them, carving it on the lining of their hearts. And he concludes, I'll forever wipe the slate clean of their sins. Once sins are taken care of for good, there's no longer any need to offer sacrifices for them. Come on, aren't those some good verses today? Well, for a moment here, I just want every head bowed, every eye closed. I just want to ask, with no one looking around, I know a lot of us are believers in here, but if there's anyone you say that I need to receive Jesus today, I want to lead you in a prayer this morning. 
lead you in a prayer today to receive the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. Could you just raise your hand if you, if you need to make that prayer today? Thank you, Father. If you need to say that prayer this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just say this together. Father, I thank you for sending your son and him dying for me. I receive you as my Savior. I ask for forgiveness of my sins. Make me new. Make me right. Wash me in your blood. In Jesus' name. I receive you as my healer today. I receive you for peace for my mind. And I receive you as my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just thank him for a moment? Father, we just thank you today for the sacrifice you made. We thank you for what you did on the cross. We thank you for the, the wonderful benefits that we receive from it. And I know we call it Good Friday, but the day it happened, it wasn't a good day for you. But looking back at the cross, it was the best day for us. And it was a Good Friday because of what happened on Sunday. And we thank you for the sacrifice that you gave to us. We thank you, Father. We receive that as, as a church family, everyone in here. I just pray over them as their pastor that, that we would fully receive, eat all of the lamb, like we said today, for healing for their body and peace for their mind and forgiveness for all of our sins. Father, I thank you today that there's no more separation between us and you. There's no more distance between us and you. There's no, there's no hostility. We have been reconciled to you. We've been redeemed and made right with you because of what Jesus has done. And now we can live in this new life and in a new relationship with you. And Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your blood. Let us never forget the blood of Jesus that takes away our sins, that makes us right. Let us never stop being thankful for fully forgiving us and making us right with you. And we thank you for your blood. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. It says in your word that it's a precious blood, spotless blood, perfect blood that takes away the sins of the world. And we thank you for it today. Let us ever be mindful of that. Ever be mindful of that in Jesus' name. We just thank you for it today. We thank you for it today. We thank you for just your, your presence in this place, just moving in this place, touching people, changing people, helping us to be reminded of your sacrifice you gave for us on Good Friday. We thank you. We're going we're gonna to think about it this week. We're going to meditate in it this week, and just you're going to even speak to us more about what's been taught today about death by love and the sacrifice you gave. We love you today, and we thank you for each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.